Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey everybody, welcome to our next episode of Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, starring Peter Bell. And- starring now. Yes, yes, you've, you're now the star. I'm just, <laughs> just the guy that asks a bunch of questions. But uh, this is Nick Fulweiler. Um, we're going to talk about the Garden of Eden and the fall today, which is a really popular topic, and a lot of people enjoy learning about it. All right, let's do it. Okay, so um, dive right in. Um, I, I actually think that this is uh, a really personally a fun topic to talk about, or I wouldn't say fun, but mainly just more interesting. I've always still thought, fun. yeah, yeah, it's still, it's still, cause there's a lot of color to it. It's, a, um, it's talked about a lot. I mean, it's the very beginning of the Bible, very beginning of Genesis. Um, I've actually thought if I was a movie producer or uh, an author, I actually would think that this would be a fantastic movie. <laughs> Just um, starting off with, you know, bef- maybe uh, before creation actually started, like yeah. the conversations in the battle in heaven um, of, you know, Satan and his uh, fallen angels and how they rebel against God and how there's a war and then, you know, he falls and, and, uh, all that really um, intense stuff that happens. So that kind of gets us right into, you know, when God created the uh, everything, you know, in the mm-hmm. very beginning of the Bible, very beginning of Genesis, he talks about God created everything in six days and enjoyed his creation on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to start with my first question here. Can yeah. we actually assume that each day is literally seven 24-hour days? Yeah, so welcome to a huge debate when it comes to Genesis and the the six days or the seven days. So, I mean, I'm sure you grew up and I grew up kind of assuming. Uh, and again, we don't like we'll preface this, but we don't we're not the sole authorities. This is just kind of our interpretation. Um, but there's a couple of schools of thought. One is that there are literal six days. And we mostly get that from um, a guy named, it's, he's not the first one, but he popularized it. Um, it's either bishop or priest or something, usher in the 1600s, um, where he took the genealogies and all that stuff. And he took the six days of Genesis and, and effectively fashioned six-day creationism and young earth creationism, 6,000 years old, whatever it may have been. Um, so there's that kind of view that the six days are six literal days and the seventh day is like maybe a day or just like rest. They're not really super sure of what it is. Um, there's a couple other, there's like the, there's, um, the gap theory where verse one is like millions, billions of years, um, long ago. And then there's this huge gap and then there's six day creation, literal six day. And then kind of where I fall is the six days are a poetic device. Mm-hmm. It is the first three days correspond to the next three days. So day one is like the habitation. Day four is the ones that fill it. 
Day two is habitation. Day five are the ones that fill it. And then day three is habitation. And then day six are the ones that fill it. So it's like the heavens and then the birds. And there's vegetation and then the creeping things. And there's the land, the dry land, and then the uh, man and beast come into that. So that's, that's kind of where I fall along this. There's a bunch of conjecture, uh, but it's a lot of it's how the Hebrew moves, and it moves very poetically from Genesis 1 through Genesis 1 1 to like Genesis 2 4. It's, it's a very, very poetic movement. And it reminds people of Psalms, it reminds mm. people of parts of Proverbs, less so of like the historical books. Mm. Do, Which, we, hmm? do we have any? Um, uh, there's a lot of debate theologically on when creation hmm. started. I know there's some out there, some of our Christian brothers and sisters will say it's much more recent than yeah. maybe uh, that it, it might seem a little uh, debatable on that. But do we have a good idea on the reformed kind of understanding of Christianity, like about when this would have happened? Yeah. So it's going to be kind of a cop out answer in me saying the Bible doesn't answer it. The Bible doesn't give us a, um, hey, this is this is the starting date. And I know there's been something like people thought it was September. People thought it was like in fall sometime when the creation started based off the genealogies. And when the genealogy ends, um, some of the genealogies in um, Chronicles and in Genesis and stuff, as you kind of follow all that stuff where you get into it. Uh, but I'm of the opinion based off of, the context, again, kind of what we've been talking about the last couple episodes, the context of Scripture and who Moses is writing to within Genesis 1-3. to He's writing into a context where they're surrounded by people who have these other gods and who have creation stories. And he's writing a creation story as an apologetic against the creation stories around them. Um, and I think he's more answering, this is the true Yahweh, this is the true God. This is our habitation, how we got what we got, not necessarily when we got it, if that makes sense. I think the Reformed understanding is we don't know. Um, and there's parts of science that answers questions that the Bible can't answer, and not that it's outside of the view of the Bible. The Bible just doesn't ask those questions that science, that science asks. Gotcha. So with that said, uh, do we have an idea? You were breaking down the first six days. and I, The seventh day is pretty interesting to me, too. Yeah. We talk about God rested, and you know he is—he is all powerful. He does. Yeah. yeah. So people were like thinking that he sat back and was exhausted. Mm. It wasn't. I think it rested might mean more enjoy, enjoy. Like he he looked at all mm. of his creation and splendor, and he just loved it. And um, he probably took that. I'm thinking my educated guess and interpretation is that seventh day is more enjoyment, and it's kind of cool. It ties into maybe. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, that it might be kind of like how we look at Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. It's. No, I think you're pretty dead on in that stuff. Yeah, it does. The word, I think it's in Genesis 2-3. I'm looking at it right now. Um, Genesis 2-3, the word, like the verb, is Shabbat, uh, mm -hmm. when God rested in Genesis 2-3. And it's where we get our English word for Sabbath. And it's repeated in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Um, the noun form in, Gen in Exodus 20 is taken from, or the verb form in Genesis 2 is taken from 
the noun form in Exodus 20. So he's trying to remind us of creation. Mm-hmm. But that is like, it's like a uh, kingly rest. He's finished his creation. He's satisfied. He's done. Not resting as if he's tired, but he's resting because it's done. And he's showing creation. These six days are supposed to point you towards this Sabbath that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And seven, the number seven is a holy number, meaning completion, too. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's kind of used in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, even the number for seven sounds like Shabbat in Hebrew. It's Shiva is the Hebrew word for seven. So it's, I mean, it's, it's similar sounding to, to, to Sabbath as well. Mm. So what day do we think that Adam and Eve were actually created in the Garden of Eden? Eden. And I, I ask that because I'm, I, I know all these questions that kind of come up and especially the critic questions, you know, if, when, what day would have they been um, created and how does that fit into pre-human history like dinosaurs even? Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's not like a cop out, but it's, I mean, if we, as reformed believers, we're trying to stay as strictly to this, to the text as possible without, Mm -hmm like outside influence without kind of our own thoughts put into the text, although we're still interpreting the text mm-hmm. as humans. Um, but all we know is based off of the text that I, like on quote unquote, like the, the sixth day or the day that corresponds to the third day. So one and four correspond, two and five correspond and three and six correspond. They're very similar language. And the way that the, like I said, the poetry flows, you can see that there's connection between those two things. Kind of like we talked about last episode with poetry, like the chiasm, um, like that structure in poetry that's very similar to how Genesis 1 is also written as well. And it's sometimes it's hard to see in the English text because it's not, they block it off instead of showing the structure that you'll see in the Hebrew. Um, But like we know it's day six because humans dominate in the like in the mandated sense of subduing of making fruitful the third day which is the land mm-hmm. um so what day i mean it's six is in the poetic sense um but i mean i still like as much as it sounds weird coming from a christian from a reformed believer like it doesn't negate dinosaurs mm-hmm. there's nothing inherently within it that says dinosaurs couldn't have existed because we see some stuff in Job. There's some words used like we're not really sure what that is if it's a strict six-day creation, 6,000-year-old earth, which doesn't mean anything about humans. It just means like there was an age potentially before. We're just, we, like, we can't answer that question mm. strictly based off the text. So you're saying that it's possible and we're, we're not going because like we don't want to um unless it's extremely clear we're not gonna yeah we're just gonna make an educated guess here everyone so but (laughs) yeah and like i could totally be wrong you could totally like that's that's the thing i'm I'm open-handed with this stuff yeah yeah that's why we talk about this stuff uncut because it's just stuff that people wonder and um so what you're saying is like it at least personally for me like it seems that the, it, it's probably more likely not literally six consecutive days and yeah. then happened to be on the sixth day um, Adam and Eve were created. And if, if dinosaurs did pre-exist uh, humans, it's not like 
they were created only a couple days before Adam and Eve. And yeah, and it's not like affirming evolution thing, right. saying that like there were pre-human kind of people in the days of dinosaurs. It just means there could have been some expansive time between that and the first human person. Oh, okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. So each day could have been a day, but in between each day could have been a lot at a time. I mean, there's, there's that kind of theory because like they were created what we call in theology like ex nihilo, which means out, like in Latin means out of nothing, from nothing. Mm -hmm. So God created them instantaneously from Adam from the ground and then Eve from his rib. So there was no process necessarily, but we don't know like chronologically in time exactly when some of these happens. We just know that they're instantaneous. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also room for, and again, we'll go on to this later on, but there's also room for um, just a regular outworking of nature, which is all ruled under the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. um, and I know like some people might be thinking too, I'm going to guess if there's a question, well, why would they use day instead of just saying like during this period or during this time? Uh, and there's this huge debate around the Hebrew word for yom, which is Hebrew for day on whether it's a literal day or not. And again, I would refer you, and I'm sure Nick would refer you back to um, episode three, which is on how to read the text. And day can mean a literal day in the Old Testament. But if you look at Daniel, where it says ancient of days, the same word, yomim, which is just a plural of days in Hebrew, doesn't mean actual ancient of literal days it's just it's a it's a hebrew expression for eternal if that makes sense so again it's just context seeing seeing what it is in context using those words in context yeah because sometimes when we've translated things uh you know our english language has so many different deriv derivatives of certain words yeah. and variations and a lot of other languages just have like one or two ways to explaining something so yeah. day could be 24 hours like we know it from yeah. from not morning to bedtime or it could be in the days of noah which are like yeah. or the you know an eight talking about an age yeah in the period of noah totally yeah yeah cool okay so that's that's a good thing to address and i kind of want to uh talk about that first and then the next thing i i think is a little bit more um uh biblically grounded is to assume that adam and eve were truly created yeah created in the sense that not uh a product of evolution so yeah. yep. i want to discuss this because evolution is obviously a very um standard of uh education these days and i think people now try to fit evolution into a, a box into fit it into the bible somehow i mean yeah. um but and I even kind of was like that at one point in time in my life is, is thinking, oh, maybe it's possible Adam and Eve were evolved, but I don't think so, you know? And I think, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and cause it's, if they were a product of evolution, the impact of the fall would be genetically tied from us to Adam and Eve wouldn't be there. It'd be a little bit more mm. arbitrary because um, it had to have happened in a very specific moment to tie the fall to Adam versus progression of evolved human beings. And then oh, you yeah. 
wonder like when did the actual fall happen was was it adam's grandfather who was a uh, an ape or was it <laughs> yeah zen or you know versus yeah. a specific time yeah. so it's too difficult to biblically um have the event of the fall and all of mankind in the future affected if adam and eve were evolved versus created so yeah. what are your thoughts yeah I, th I think your doctrine of sin so how we view who we are under the law is i mean it's it is affected to an incredible degree if you believe that humans were evolved where like sin becomes more of like a moment to moment decision i'm a sinner because i sin not i sin because i'm a sinner so i think those two things i mean you throw that off where like you're not actually a sinner if there's evolution it's just a decision that you made that's bad um and it was because you are maybe preconditioned to it or like everybody else in your family has always sinned and we're just not good enough not to sin um but we have to ground it in knowing that the bible speaks throughout of adam as being a true human and the first human um that we know of and that's that was the only first human and the reason why we get that is not just from genesis 1 and then genesis 2 and then genesis 3 but it's also the way the new testament views it the way that jesus views it and the way that paul views it as well um and the, one of the big texts is from romans 5 so if i can read that real quick um, romans 5 verse 12 says therefore as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all men sin sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from adam to moses even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. And then it goes on into condemnation under, or condemnation under Adam and then righteousness through Christ. Uh, verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so talking about Adam. So by one man's obedience, talking about Christ, many will be made righteous. Law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm. So if there is no Adam or if there's no historical Adam, there is no doctrine of sin. There is no doctrine of condemnation under the law because sin is not so much a disposition or our inherent character. It just becomes a decision. And that can change person to person or generation to generation but knowing that adam was what we call in reformed theology our federal head so he's the one in the garden who represented all of humanity and his sin we also sin and so we inherit both his sinful nature and we also inherit the disposition to sin as sinners ourselves and it's hard also too if you don't believe in historical adam you can also believe you can't also believe in the righteousness of christ to cover over the sin of adam so those are two wow. tied together yeah. yeah that's quite an ultimatum statement which is very good that you said that because i think a lot of people downplay adam even if they totally believe in jesus yeah downplay adam and now you're getting more of a full true respect and and understanding of why jesus had to come too yeah there's no need for righteousness if there's no 
absolute corruption of the human race. Right. And J Jesus is called the second Adam. Yep. Um, and he, it took a fully God, fully man mm -hmm. to correct the mistake of the fully created man. Yep. Because only fully God can be perfectly righteous at all times forever, but fully man in order to take on the burden of the law of man. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I, I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their minds around. Um, yeah. You know, because we have, we kind of look at it as a, a scientific way and understanding DNA and, and yeah. you know, whatnot. So we're cursed out of the womb, right? Mm -hmm. When you're born, you're cursed because of the decision Adam and Eve made. Yep. So we're genetically tied to Adam and Eve's decision to eat an apple. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not downplaying what the sin is. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, the act of doing it was to rebel against God. Yeah. Um, and it's, it really was a supernatural uh, cataclysmic event that, yeah. but you know, that's what I, you know, essentially their unfortunately ungodly decision changed our DNA. How do we back that up against secular science critics? Yeah, so this one's, this one's hard to do. Um, and this, this has to do with a, a debates in both scientific circles and theological circles around the soul. Mm -hmm. And so it's what does the soul, what does the soul carry? How is the soul and the body mixed up together? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a huge debate. And that's something like I'm just, I'm not as um, educated on, so I can't answer kind of the fullest extent of it. Mm -hmm. um, but viewing sin not so much as a part of our DNA, but as a part of our condemnation. So it's less so of part of our like genetic code and part of who we are inside of ourselves, more so on we had the law, Adam was given a law. Adam was told, do not eat of this tree, for if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. So he was given this law, this command, and if he transgressed, if he didn't do it, and if he said, no, I want to pronounce what is good as good and what is bad as bad. So he ends up calling God's decree, God's command, bad, and calls the tree good. And he makes two things opposite of what they should have been. Right. So he makes his own decision. Um, and so his standing under the law is what we both inherit and we also did in Adam. So it's, it's hard to kind of wrap our minds around like not only did Adam make his decision, but actually we made our decision in Adam yep. to fall. We didn't, it wasn't just a Adam made his decision and oh man, it sucks to be human. You also got that too, but it's actually we inherited because we did it ourselves. And it's less so like, oh, you can see the sin inside that person. It's more so there is a law that we're all burdened under that started with Adam and we in Adam and it's continued in this race. And Psalm 51 talks about that with David saying, like, cursed am I from the womb. I came from a cursed womb. Yep. Yeah, I, I've pondered this question before. And I think what I've come up with is if if Adam sinned in a perfect garden and uh -huh. when God dwelled with him and he had no reason to sin or choose sin. Yeah, he, he had everything. 
he had everything there and he chose and he chose to to disobey yeah. how much yeah. more would we have made that decision oh yeah that's true we live when we live in a fallen world already yeah. so we have even less hope than adam and adam couldn't even do it adam and well, Eve, we have more revelation than adam had we have we have more i mean commands adam had the single command we yeah. have 10 of those commands amidst everything else within scriptures we we have even greater judgment upon ourselves mm-hmm. for continually transgressing against the law um, every day. So if we say, no, I wouldn't make the same decision Adam did, you have to say, well, you're making it every day. Yep. Yeah. So the good answer to that is that if Adam couldn't do it, we definitely, as yeah. spring and in the world we're in, there's no way we stand a chance of yeah doing that's, better than he did so yeah, that's true so that goes back i think more to um it's easier to tie genetically the separation of god to our souls if he's created a created being mm-hmm. is it a, a evolved being um yeah yeah so that that kind of I know this is going to challenge a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of good people, a lot of people that go to church a lot that um, are pretty uh, big evolutionary uh, believers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all we're saying is do your research, do do more, talk to your pastor. You know. Um, yeah, and evolution, believing in evolution doesn't nullify your standing before Christ. Right. Doesn't nullify if you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's you are you are a justified saint. You are a justified yep. believer in the law. But it's also like we also do want to, as much as we can on this side of, of heaven, we want to reach for as perfect theology as, as we possibly can find. Oh, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, I mean, this is a lot of stuff that um, we may unintentionally mistake just the product of our education uh know or not know more about but it doesn't affect your the love you have from god or yeah. your salvation so yeah and that's i think too often it's if you believe in evolution you are non-christian and this has been a big debate since darwin's origin of the species in the 1850s um and darwin struggled with theism and atheism and he like when he wrote his book he did not call it an atheistic book he actually wrote it within the confines of theism not necessarily christianity but with the confines of theism we've kind of stripped it of of of, of a lot of what it is and i mean some of the greatest reformed theologians of all time have believed in some form of evolution though not macro in the sense of we've evolved from apes but micro in the sense of like you can see features of adaptation in creatures throughout time but knowing like to be a believer is to be justified under the law from the mediator because you've confessed with your mouth and believe with your believe with your heart but it's not contingent contingent on do you believe in evolution or not right that would be a faith plus or yeah totally but like again we do like we do want to seek a true understanding of the gospel as much as we can but that does not increase our position any bit under the law or under christ yeah thank goodness for the grace yeah we don't have to have it 
we were he god's not asking us to take an exam and get a hundred percent he's asking one question do you believe in my son jesus yeah that's it and you say yes and you're like good pass Mm -hmm. that's it yeah all this other stuff is just out of uh edification really yeah yeah and like i've heard other churches i'm sure you've heard it too where like if you're not a strict six-day creationist and you're not a strict like young earth creationism if you're not king james only then you're not a believer or you're farther away from the kingdom but that's like there's nothing in the bible that talks about that literally all it says very 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 basic is believe in your heart and confess and Mm -hmm. that's it and that's also not on the other end not to downplay what we're doing uh the spirit of edification is for the glory of god having a blast learning more about him um because we are saved by him, we're like, yeah, we want to learn more about our father. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this comes from the Bible, like that that I was comes from Romans 10 somewhere. Confess with your heart or confess with your mouth, believe with your heart. But also, I mean, this stuff comes from Genesis 1 to 3. So if we want to be um pursuing knowledge that leads towards love, then this is the stuff we have to do. Cool. Yeah, I like that. Good stuff. Um, so big question. Uh, did Satan and his rebellious angels fall from heaven to earth prior to the fall of Adam and Eve? I know there's some debate on that. Can you maybe break down what the Reformed uh, doctrine is on the theological series of events? Yeah, so I know the, I'm trying to think, I think it's Isaiah 14 that talks about lightning falling from heaven um and there's i mean there's a whole bunch of debate on who that lightning was there's some conjecture on is that satan is that is isaiah speaking specifically in his 700 bc context uh, about a specific kingdom um and again some of that stuff like i haven't done enough research on this to like kind of come with a dogmatic stance on it Mm -hmm. um so i have to to be humble and say like i don't know some of these things Good. Um, we'll be on it. We'll rather be honest to you guys. Yeah. Um, but I do know, uh, and like I think you'll touch on this later and maybe just um you know, bring it up as kind of a, a teaser, but like Eden was, as far as we can tell, Eden was like a little plot of land on the earth. It was not the whole earth. Mm-hmm. Um and Satan, the serpent, existed outside of that land prior to adam and eve we're not super sure nobody really knows um chronologically when that occurred but we do know actually i can't say we do know we have very strong confidence that there was some form of death ish kind of stuff prior to the fall is that is that strictly related to the fall we like we don't know um but we do know Again, or we do very much believe strongly that there was some sort of death prior to the fall. Oh, um, that's cool you brought that up. I actually wrote that down as something I was going to bring up. Is And I didn't know going into this if you would agree with me or not. And this is <laughs> yeah. totally my educated guess, just yeah. kind of like reading, reading Genesis and uh, hearing as much as I could about it. That my educated guess, and it sounds like what you just said, is the Garden of Eden, I think, could have been one specific holy area in the world. 
instead of the entire world being the garden. And I think that, think about that, that makes a lot of sense, but I think a lot of the, without thinking too deeply, a lot of people just assume the whole entire world was Garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah, but that's biblically theological answer, but yeah, I see. Right. Because Satan had to enter the garden and if yeah. the earth, especially before Genesis three or, you know, yeah. Satan had to enter the garden and he had to enter it from outside of it. And he was on the earth. That means there could have been death, decay and sin outside of the holy, perfect garden of Eden. And then once the fall occurred, the garden's location, I think, could have been just swallowed up by the darkness of the world outside its borders because heaven literally, God's uh, personal um, occupancy, yeah, left, yeah, essentially. Yeah, no, I think that brings us to like a really crucial point. And that again, we have to look again, like it's if you haven't listened to the episode, I think episode three is pretty crucial for understanding episode four. Um, but you have to see how does the Bible interpret itself because the Bible does interpret itself and it gives you answers for how it shows forth humanity in, in Christ. But Ezekiel 28 talks about the Garden of Eden and it likens it to a temple. And we look at the rest of the Pentateuch, so the last four books of the Bible, or the last four books of the Pentateuch being Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, or Genesis, or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, we see a temple being constructed, and then a temple moving throughout the historical writings with Samuel and Kings. Um, but the Garden of Eden, like you said, being that holy presence of the Lord with Adam and Eve, being like a tiny temple, mm-hmm. being like the temple. And again, we have to see priests in the rest of Pentateuch had to protect the holiness of the temple had to keep sin out. So there are three layers of the temple. There's the courts, there is the um, the inner, and then there's the Holy of Holies. And right. the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments were placed and the, and the covenant between Israel and God. Um, that's being a picture of Eden and also a reflection down from heaven of the true heaven, of the true tent, of the true tabernacle, true temple, of Yahweh. Um, but Eden, yeah, is that that holy presence of the Lord. And like you said too, with Adam, the words used in Hebrew for Adam to protect and guard are the same words used for priests with the temple. Mm-hmm. So when the priests are told protect, guard, keep sin out, only holiness can stay in. And that's not like an arbitrary, like God's like, whatever, this is what I'm gonna do. It's because sin can't dwell with holiness. Sin is destroyed by holiness. Sin is sin cannot live inside of the presence of holiness. So when he tells Adam, protect and keep, he's saying, keep bad out, keep holy in. And essentially he let bad come in. Yep. And we're we're at this point. I mean, this this unpacks some deep like questions. And we only know a fraction of God. Like yeah. actually withheld a, a lot of who he is that we're going to spend an eternity in heaven trying to unpack. Yeah, he's infinite, totally. But I find that, yeah, like what you're saying with Adam being the protector, I, I found this kind of, we've talked about this before, and um, it, obviously Satan always reverses what God intends. Yeah. This kind of happens over and over with the, his character in the, and uh, what Satan does to 
kind of mock God. He tries to reverse what God intends. Um, yeah. You can find that in a lot of things in the world, um, but we won't go into. But <laughs> God, so think of it this way. God tells men, you know, men, and this mm-hmm. is not a sexist comment at all. So don't, uh, <laughs> God tells men to be spiritual leaders and heads of the uh-huh. house, right? As you know, to protect, really. We're called to die for our family and protect. Yep. So, uh, men, when you are called to be the one God will ask for, to give an account of your family. So if mm-hmm. he knocks on your door, he will ask for the father of the home. You know, if, yeah. if one of the children or even the wife has sinned, I mean, this is more metaphorically, like we would have to account for that. And mm-hmm. outside your home, your pastor, he's kind of the father of your church family yeah. so you are a mini priest in your in your home if you're a man i yep. mean kind of like if you disagree with that get over it you are <laughs> so uh satan here's the thing satan used the back door of eden yeah. he went the back door of eden and waited until eve was alone and approached mm-hmm. to deceive her before going to adam yeah so, i mean either she was alone or adam's like hey here you go Right, but either way, he did it the backwards way. It's not like Satan honored God by because he doesn't. He didn't go, oh, I got to go talk to the Adam first. and Yeah, I have to talk to the priest first. No, he talks to just somebody who lives there. Yeah, and he talked to Eve, and he knew because he's a deceiver. And he um, – so that's how he does things. So that's just a good way of being wise and understanding. Yeah. Uh, how Satan kind of operates. So. And even biblically too, like if we were to put ourselves in the story, we have to put ourselves in both Eve's and Adam's side of the story. So we have to think about this. Adam in that sense is a mediator. So he's supposed to be covering for Eve. He's supposed to be the middle ground between whatever sin is and then Yahweh. But he does not cover for Eve. So in that sense, we're Eve. We're the ones who we have like we have this mediator and we're also at the same time adam as the one who fell adam is the one who we fell in and also he is our head as well uh, that makes sense because uh, jesus is the second adam that would make sense that we are the church were his bride we yep. would be eve yeah we're also eve too yeah we we have that mediator and again old testament's full of mediators who were sinful and fallen but showed us in their sinfulness in their fallenness who the perfect sinless one was to come mm-hmm. so so adam and eve messed up before they even sinned isn't that crazy in a perfect garden with god roaming around and being with them they messed up before they even technically sinned. Yeah. Adam was told to guard, and he did not guard, and that allowed yep. temptation to come in. And the temptation was, call what is good bad, and what is bad good, and he does that. Yeah. Which Satan, as I just mentioned, reverses things, and that's yep. what he, he convinced us to do. So, you know, when we talk about the serpent, the snake, people are like, this seems like a far-fetched story. <laughs> yeah. snake talking to a woman, Yeah, he told her to eat an apple. And everything changed after that. That's where people kind of like go from the Sunday school explanation to being like, I'm sorry, I don't believe this. And they never 
entertain listening to the story past Sunday school? How, how yeah. can you like help as an adult, educated, smart people kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. better? Yeah, or kind of smart people. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about the audience being smart people, not. No. <laughs> yeah, we're just helping you guys out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's again, this is our our understanding of what the serpent is within scripture, and as far as we can tell, it's a serpent, and that's just that's what the text says. Um, it could have been some manifestation. It could have been a voice. Like we just. There's some things we just don't know because the text just doesn't tell us. Um, right. All we know is it is identified with with Satan. Um, that could have been an audible voice from him. It could have been in the form of a serpent. It could have been a picture of like a picture of temptation. Um, I think what's really helpful to kind of wrap our minds around this is the words used around it. Um, and again, kind of referring like to try to make this a little more apparent and like kind of wrap around is when it says the serpent was craftier than any other beast in the field craftier that word again in the hebrew looks exactly the same as when the man and the woman are naked so the word for naked so in hebrew like kind of basic hebrew only has consonants so it's just like in english we have a e i o u or vowels in Hebrew, when you look at the text, it doesn't have a vowel under it. And so those things are kind of changed out. But the consonants in Hebrew are the same between naked and crafty. Mm. So if you look at it, it's like that's the same word. But the vowels change around it. But the vowels are either be below it or above it. Um, and like we can show you a picture of this on Instagram later on. But it's a play on words. And so Moses is actually using a play on words with the serpent. He's trying to show you that the serpent is the tempter. The serpent is like, regardless of what you feel about serpents being a literal serpent or whatever, and again, we don't specifically know how legit this is, but it's more so Moses is using a play on words. They were naked and unashamed. There was no sin for them to be ashamed of, which is why their nakedness was a thing before this. There is... There is nothing between them and Yahweh. There's nothing to cover them because they didn't need covering. They were exposed because they were sinless. There was nothing in them to expose them to a holy God. But then the wow. serpent comes in and the plan words for Moses is craftier. So you're about like, you look at the Hebrews like, oh my gosh, it's about to, like, there's something about to go down. We can see what he's doing. This is the tempter. What are they going to do? Yeah. That, that makes sense. And even the fact that they realized that they were naked and were ashamed. Yeah. Um, impact, Goes back to end of Genesis 2. Yeah, it impacted that they, yeah, they're, they're looking at themselves in a way that God didn't want them to. Um, yeah, at that point, when they say ashamed, don't like, I think people think like of their bodies. They're ashamed because now they're exposed. They know they're sinful and they're in holy ground. Yeah. That's the shame. The yeah. shame's not of bodies. The shame's not of anything else other than I am a sinful creature amidst holiness. Well, and we got to go back to what was the father of all sins? What was it? It was pride. Pride and 
and and Satan talked them into being their own God. They're like, yeah, God mm-hmm. doesn't want you to know all these things. Do you want to be just like him? And they're like, yeah, let's do this. Um, so again, it is weird because there is a temptation placed there and an existence of sin placed there before men were fall to sin. Yeah. And it was the... It, it's the same. Oh man, it's even more evident today than ever. Like we look at just so much secular culture. It's be your own God, be yourself. Don't don't worry about anybody else. Like be selfish, be greedy, uh, be extremely prideful. Um, it even kind of it, it ruins even your marriage and your relationships when mm-hmm. you're just um, you're caring about just the pleasure of yourself and not yeah. serving the other person so man it is uh i've been reading this book lately um manhood restored by eric mason and it's a great book that unpacks the fall and how it affected uh mankind in the sense of men uh you know um uh and just how it has affected everything from sex to us being leaders and everything Mm -hmm. so that I kind of wanted to just pop that in there. I mean, another reference too was uh, the Bible Project. If you guys ever go on YouTube, they have some fantastic videos unpacking the the Garden of Eden and the Fall illustrations that kind of help you understand it a little easier as well. Yeah. Uh, so, why did God allow sin, aka Satan, Satan to even enter the garden? I mean, he was all knowing. So. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that he even allowed him to do that? Because remember, we talked about Job in the episode before. Satan doesn't do anything without God's permission. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a question we're going to debate for a long time. But again, taking the entire scripture and, and understanding where this leads towards and who is glorified in this, it's it's a probationary period so like kind of packing that out a little bit so the garden is is yahweh's test for lack of a better term of adam so adam had the ability not to sin he both had the ability to be holy and righteous and had the ability not to sin but he also had the ability to sin Mm -hmm. so within the garden he was given the option he was given the choice you either trust me and what i call good you call good when he's given the mandate to name animals yahweh gives him the availability he gives him the option hey i am giving you the power to name animals this is something you can do so adam does it he names animals he follows the request of yahweh and then within the fall he says you have to call what i call good good and what i call bad bad and sin enters, it's not, not necessarily like the sin isn't given the option. The sin is the temptation. He can already, he already has the ability to sin. He's not yet glorified. So he's, right. he's not looking towards heaven. He's not looking towards the ability not to sin anymore, which is only available in heaven. Um, but, and again, it's like some of these things we're just not going to know fully or completely or comprehensively. But the one thing we do know is he has the ability to sin the tempter does not 
make him sin. The tempter provides the counter argument to Yahweh and says, no, you can actually call what is good bad and what is bad good. And so the serpent actually doesn't introduce sin. The serpent is just the tempter. Adam is the one who introduces sin. And it's because he transgresses against the law. That is so much of what's going on today. It's just uh, what is called good is bad and what is called bad is good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like, and I know people have the question because I had the question like, is the tree bad that right. God called bad? Like, what part of the tree was bad? Like, why did he have to call that tree bad? Is, that bad, is the tree bad like in and of itself? Is it just a bad tree when he calls it bad? And it's only like, only because Yahweh says, don't eat it. Not because of the tree. It's because Yahweh says, don't eat it. And believe me, and don't do it. Right. So it wasn't the tree itself as a tree, but more of you just simply disobeyed him. Yep. You disobeyed his words. He gave you the commandments, and you did the opposite of his commandments. Not because of the tree. It's because you disobeyed him. And that goes back to a very original question is God is omnipotent, omnipresent, all powerful, all knowing. Yeah. He lives, he really exists outside of time. That's how yeah. uh, magnificent he is. So he had to have known this was going to happen because he knows yeah. stuff before it happens. So yeah. he knew how it was going to play out. He did. Why? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I guess the easiest answer is I have I haven't the foggiest idea. I don't know. Yeah. And that is just the depth of God that um, right now may keep people um, uh, from wanting to learn more, unfortunately. But at the same time, it's going to blow us away when we learn. Yeah. And we may not know the reason, but we know the end. And we know the end is to glorify his name in his son by the spirit that's it yep and we know he loves us and he's on our side so um i could go on and on and we'd go over time and talk about uh, speculations or what our educators yeah. are but we don't want to confuse the audience and we want to stay as close to scripture as possible yeah. yeah um but those are just questions a lot of uh, critics unbelievers de-churched uh individuals have and i want them to feel okay that um with your responses or my responses on this and even that we sometimes ask these questions but yeah change our salvation with jesus um in the in, in the end as well but talking about the end uh you know there is a lot of similarity when you take the bible and, and you take the first and last book you take genesis yeah. attach it to revelation um and I don't know, what do you think about this? So God created dark, he made darkness go to light in, in the beginning. In mm -hmm. days. Could that be kind of what's going on right now? There's darkness in the world and then the day of the Lord is bringing the light. And, you know, right now we're in a dark fallen world. Um, you know, is it going to be a recreation almost? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we have to look at scripture and the contour how it moves throughout scripture um 
I mean, it moves exactly how it moves right now. There's, there's sin in this world as a result of the fall. And what we see now is, I don't think necessarily any difference than what we saw in the Old Testament and New Testament are now kind of in the church age, um, post-first resurrection of Christ. Um, but yeah, I think it's, we are a sinful race. We are sinful people. This is going to repeat itself over and over again. I think Judges is very apt for our time, I guess more specifically, where they saw what was right in their own eyes. They they did things that was right in their own eyes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, the good news is we're going to see the, the glory of him even brighter because we do know about darkness. And yeah. uh, no, we're not sure why darkness exists or why God uses it. I think that's beyond our comprehension. Science can't answer that question. Science at its base level is observable evidence and theories and facts based off of observable evidence, but this is not something they can touch. Um, but that's, that's as far as we know. We don't know why, we just know what the end looks like. Okay. Well, so to wrap this up, how could we, um, in a concise, easy to understand way, uh, tell people how this fall Garden of Eden story um, is connected to the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, so it's, I mean, sticking as close to scripture as we can, it's, we know who was created, we know why we were created, and we know the reason why we were created. And everything points to, all creation points to the glory of God, whether it be the destruction of sin or the glorification of holiness. Um, and that's kind of looked at in Romans as well. Romans 9 talks about this as well, about the purpose for sin and the purpose for righteousness. Um, but seeing, even in a glimpse, Genesis 2-3, like, like we kind of talked about at the beginning, the Shabbat, the Sabbath, uh, the holy rest of Yahweh is what we have to look forward to as a creation that was sanctified by him, was made holy. It is his eternal rest as his creation under the righteousness of Christ. We've been purchased through his obedience, through the, the uh, agency of the spirit, through his work. He's given us Christ's obedience that Adam failed. Adam failed to obey. He failed to call what is good, good. He failed to call what is bad, bad. We inherited that from him. But, I mean, thanks be to God for the righteousness of Christ that, like Romans 8 says, he covered us, he's justified us, he's continually sanctifying us, and he will, without a doubt, in the end, glorify us. And we see that in a glimpse in Genesis 1 and 2. But we will see that. We will see that temporary picture that we see in the church right now, being on Sundays. What we talked about in resurrection, being that picture of the resurrection of Christ on Sundays. We will see that forever, eternally in heaven. Yep. Yeah, and sin, sin from the fall was so deep that created man could not fix it. It took God himself, who's the author of everything, who created everything to actually insert himself in to fix it 
So mm -hmm. literally Jesus is the only hope that we could ever have. And God had to do it himself. He had to actually be like, okay, I have to, like I said in one of the earlier episodes, he's the painter of everything. And he inserted himself into the painting to fix it. Yeah, so, Jesus is the, is the perfect Adam. We just, this last Sunday at church, we went through Mark mm. um, 1, 9 through 13, about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness being that perfect obedience that Adam did not give. And so he was pushed out into the wilderness after Eden. Adam was pushed out into the wilderness after Eden. And Christ was pushed out into the wilderness to be tested. Adam was tested in the garden, in holiness, in that righteousness. Jesus was tested in the desert. That's right. I'm glad you brought that up because I've thought about that before. Yeah, and Adam, again, fell in a perfect Eden. and But yet God, in a uh, fallen world, uh, resisted temptation. Yeah, obeyed perfectly in the wilderness. Yeah. He. He did what Adam could not do in worse conditions than Adam had. And we, as those who fell in Adam, now follow the one who is the perfect Adam, who obeyed perfectly for us. There we go. There we go. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's in Jesus. So yeah, We have the perfect Adam, and he's, he's in Scripture. We know him. We can pray through him, and we live because of him. Beautiful. Cool. Well, that wraps us up uh, just shy of an hour. Uh, we promise we're trying to get more concise. and We'll get there, I promise. We'll get, we'll get there. We'll get there. But this was a huge, important topic because it really is the start of where the why things are the way they are. Yeah. So, uh, we'll end it there, and we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Make sure you guys subscribe to us and if you guys have any questions, email us. Our email is on the, uh, the podcast apps, whatever podcast you guys use. It's on Instagram. Um, we're, we're hoping to receive some stuff from you. We're excited to see, receive some stuff from you and help you out and connect you, whatever we can do to, to help you in your, on your journey. Cool. So we, we'll see you guys later. Look forward to episode five.